The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good evening, everyone. So, as you may know from the flyer, tonight is the first of a series of three nights talking about the refuges. Has anyone here taken a refuge or been part of a refuge ceremony? Lewis, I'm sure. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, Well, my plan is that tonight we'll talk about, we'll explore really together, what does it mean to take refuge? And how are, what are some of the ways that we already take refuge? And next week, we'll talk more specifically about taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And then the third week, we'll focus more on taking refuge in our own awakeness. And what does that mean? And then we will do a refuge ceremony, which usually means chanting the refuges, taking the precepts, and um, uh, all of us taking a part of what's called a blessing cord or a protection cord, sort of like what I have on, except generally it's red yarn. This happens to be from a baby shower. It's the first time I've experienced this, but it was similar. We wound it around three times and um, wished the, the new mom well. And when the baby's born, then we cut it. <laughs> so in this practice, we um, don't necessarily wrap it three times. We wrap it once, but typically tie three knots for the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So we'll do that in a couple of weeks. So, first of all, I want to talk a little bit about what it means to take refuge and what are some ways that other traditions take refuge. So there are many definitions of refuge. Typically, we think of it as finding a safe haven or a safe place or shelter from a storm, shelter where we can feel safe. So as... You probably know, either from life or from this practice, there is no safety. There is no safe place in this spatio-temporal world. There is no place we can go where we can be assured of safety. That can be quite jolting 
to people because we like to think that there are places. You know, our favorite place in the woods or at the beach or in our homes or whatever. There must be some place where we can be safe. But in fact, there is not. That's the nature of this world and this life. So, given that, how or where do we find refuge? And in Dharma practice, in Buddhist practice, we talk about finding that safe place, that refuge, in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Many other traditions have many other ways of taking refuge. Some traditions talk about taking refuge in God or perhaps in Jesus or perhaps in an afterlife. Things may be pretty chaotic here, but when I die, then then things will be okay. Some traditions put a lot of emphasis on the hereafter, (laughs) what happens after death. And so people put a lot of faith or a lot of hope in what there will be after we die. In some traditions, then, taking refuge in Jesus uh, can be a way of getting away from sin or avoiding hell, something like that. Some traditions take refuge in rituals or rites or beliefs, practices. And so they have a set of practices that they follow that gives them that sense of safety. In Islam, as you may know, there are five pillars. Essentially five practices that are important for practitioners. Um, Accepting that there is one God. uh, Fasting for Ramadan. Giving to the poor. um, Making a pilgrimage, a hajj pilgrimage to Mecca, and what did I leave out? Praying five times a day. These are practices that are meant to help people experience safety and know that they are on 
a spiritual path. Some other traditions take refuge in a deity, a higher power, if you will, Brahman, someone or something outside of ourselves that promises us refuge or safety. And in uh, Buddhism, there is a school called Pure Land, which actually takes refuge in Amida Buddha. We don't talk so much about that in the Theravada tradition. But in Pure Land, that's very important. And people chant the name of Amida Buddha as a way of getting to the Pure Land of awakening. Other traditions take refuge in the fact that they believe their way is the only way or the most true way. They have found the truth. And there must be great <laughs> a great sense of safety in knowing that you have found the truth. And if you follow that, things will be okay. Unfortunately, what happens then is that people get so attached to their particular way, whatever that is, that then they make everybody else wrong. Everybody else is going to hell that doesn't practice their way. So it might be helpful for them, but of course it creates strife, (laughs) war, incredible suffering. Some people take refuge in good works, in being of service, of being ethical, doing what's right, so to speak. And of course, in Buddhist practice, we work diligently to be ethical, to follow the precepts, to be skillful, um, to practice diligently. But that's not our final refuge. Some people, traditions, take refuge in nature. And maybe some or all of us do at times. Certainly I do. I find a lot of comfort and sense of safety in nature. I make a yearly trip to the high country in Yosemite and it's so renewing and I feel so safe among the granite. Um, 
and I feel a part of the natural world. I don't feel the separation that I sometimes do in our busy lives. I feel very much connected to the natural world. And so that can be a kind of refuge for me. We have the forest refuge in Barrie, Massachusetts, where people can go for personal retreats. And of course, as its name implies, it can be a refuge for people. Home. Home is also probably a refuge for many of us, at least at times. It can be for me when life gets very busy, um, there's a lot going on. My home with my pets uh, is a place I can relax, I can breathe, get some space, and that feels very much like a refuge. Some people find refuge in pulling away from life, not being involved, but either isolating themselves in some way, not taking part in um, so much of life, sometimes not getting involved with other people. You've probably heard people say, as I have, I'll never love again. It's too painful when it ends. Or I've heard a lot of people say, I'll never have another dog because it's too painful when the dog dies. Or I'll never have another cat or whatever. Seeming that if they don't, then they'll be safe from the hurt, pain, disappointment of losing someone or some pet. But is that really safety? Is that really a refuge? In this practice, we talk about opening our hearts and as Jack Cornfield says allowing our hearts to break over and over and over again because that releases the compassion and we understand that closing our hearts closing ourselves off from love doesn't protect us It's actually painful. It actually harms us not to be open to life and to love. Shutting off, closing off hurts us and doesn't protect us as we think it will. So, None of these ways are foolproof. None of these ways are safe. You know, even though I may take refuge at home, 
it's not a guarantee of safety. We could have an earthquake. My house could catch on fire. Any number of things could happen. And my safety would not be assured. Even up in the granite, (laughs) where I feel so safe, something could happen. I could get attacked, or I could fall, or any number of things could happen. So none of these ways are guaranteed safe and are not lasting. So this is important for us to get, important for us to understand. And so what I'd like to do for just a few minutes is have you turn to a neighbor and spend just a few minutes talking with each other about how you take refuge. What do you take refuge in? Maybe some of the things I've mentioned, maybe other things. And then uh, I'll have a few of you share. Okay? So, if you would, just turn to somebody close to you. And probably it's, it's best if you go one at a time. <laughs> and then after three or four minutes, I'll ring the bell and then you can switch. Yeah, I just had people. No, no. Is there? uh... Yeah, is there someone with this man? Maybe not. I see someone sitting alone. Um, We're talking about how how you take refuge. What in what do you take refuge? So I saw some lively conversations. (laughs) So who would like to share? What did you discover? How do you take refuge? Or in what do you take refuge? Last weekend, I went camping at a beach in Santa Cruz, 
I'm a backpacker, but it's so dry in the mountains, I haven't been going up this summer. And um, it was spectacular. So I was camping uh, on a beach in Santa Cruz, and it was a spectacular starry night. And I went back the second night, and it was 25-mile-an-hour winds, and my <laughs> tent was half-buried in sand. And I realized, well, one night was enough. <laughs> Yes, impermanence. (laughs) (laughs) Who else? I'll say something. Um, I guess for me it's mainly the Dharma uh, that I take refuge in. Uh, I think the teachings are are fabulous. Um, They do seem to me like a complete system. Uh, if they don't work for me all the time, it's because I'm not following it <laughs> sometimes. Uh, the, the Buddha is a little bit remote for me, uh, and so I'm not sure what to make of, of the Buddha as a historical uh, personage. And then we were talking about the Buddha being like the Buddha within, your Buddha nature. <laughs> um, I'm not sure about that either. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, to be honest, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know, the sangha means something to me. Mm-hmm. But okay. but you know, we're all still people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, so right. mainly mainly the dharma. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Who else, Trudy? Well, we talked a bit about uh, taking refuge in service, mm-hmm. and um, it's something that I've been thinking about uh, for a while now because I know how powerful it's been in my life when I think I'm devastated and life is just horrible, mm-hmm. uh, that service has been such a relief and such a, such a gift and yet I realize that there will come a time when uh, that's not available to me. And so I want to... That's one reason why I came to this, this series, to learn more about... Um, I don't know whether it, it has to do with the Buddha within, but I do believe very deeply in the Buddha within. And so maybe what I'm saying is moving the refuge and service to refuge within in the Buddha nature is what I'm trying to do. I have no idea how that would look or be. (laughs) (laughs) You might be surprised. (laughs) I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody else. Somebody, Somebody be really honest and talk about <laughs> worldly ways that you take refuge. We all do. <laughs> um, it was interesting you mentioned worldly ways because I was uh, 
thinking of the various worldly ways that I do look for refuge. And of course, they're all quite fragile and impermanent mm-hmm. and certainly not necessarily safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's another side for me, which I don't know, it's undefinable, but nonetheless, the most real thing for me is presence. And of course, uh, presence now is multidimensional. It's much larger than infinity in a certain way. But I do feel that even if I'm not well, if I'm irritated, upset, there's still the possibility of presence. And I did have a question because I'm not, I'm not Buddha. I've been practicing Buddhism, but I uh, was interested in the idea of Buddha as a refuge. And um, because in sometimes, in connection with presence, there's a sense of a greater being in which one's part of. Mm-hmm. And an un- untangible being, certainly not material, but maybe acting on the material. And I was wondering if, if, if the question about the Buddha in that sense is for Buddhism what for some people God might be in Christianity. I don't know that, I'm just asking. If the Buddha might in, be? In taking refuge in the Buddha. Is that somewhat similar to what a person who would say... One of the theological origins would say is refuge in God. I don't know. It's just a question I've had. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think the difference would be that in Buddhist practice, when we say we take refuge in the Buddha, we're really saying that he is our inspiration. You know, we always have a Buddhist statue. And people misunderstand and think that we are worshiping the Buddha. We even bow, so, you know, it's understandable that people would would think that. But in actual fact, we're not worshiping either the statue or the Buddha. (laughs) We're paying homage we're grateful for the teachings, as Bill said, and the understanding that has been passed on down to us. And we use the Buddha, his wakefulness, his awakening, enlightenment, as a human being, as inspiration for us, that we too in this very life, can wake up. So it's not quite the same as in Christianity or any other tradition that um, takes refuge in God as, as a being in general, a, a uh, what, a force that um, that one can pray to and expect an effect from. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'd have to say that there are many different 
views of what God amounts to. Yes. In some teachings, God is ineffable, unknowable, uh, ever-present. And others, God is personalized. Yes. Or made an idol of in certain traditions. So it seems to me there's a lot of possibility there, that's all. Yes, yes, there is. And I'm referring particularly to the second. The what? The second um, that you mentioned, that Mm -hmm. so often God is personalized and is a being outside of ourselves that... um, that is thought to hear our prayers and answer in some way, respond in some way. Different from the um, maybe ever-present, evanescent (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, use of the word. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Did you want to? No? No? (laughs) anybody else Um, I just want to add that from a history of religion point of view um, we don't know that the Buddha really existed so Basically, it is about the teachings, the compendium of teachings that have been put together over many centuries and are handed down to us. And it's nice to attribute them to one person, but I think it's wise to keep some perspective on the Buddha as a person. We can perhaps separate the historical Buddha from the the image of the Buddha, the the meaning of Buddha, uh, awakeness. As um, Tan Jeff said one time, when someone asked him about this, you know, I understand there is um, some controversy about whether the Buddha actually lived or not. And Tanjef Tanisaro Bhikkhu said, well, I don't really care whether he did or not. (laughs) The teachings are, as you said, so valuable. I don't really care whether he (laughs) gave them or not. I thought that was a, a great answer. Yeah, yeah. We use the image of the Buddha, um, the awakened one, as I said, as inspiration. And we talk about myths, the myth of how he was born, and etc. So in this practice, we're not so tied to <laughs> um, things being factually true. But if they help and if they help us to be more wise be more skillful then that's what's important yeah thank you for that
Worry? I can talk about ordinary, mundane taking refuge. It's like I do those things. It's yeah. um, I feed people. I have this this compulsive feeding thing that I do, and I get great pleasure out of that. Um, I like animals. So when my friends are out of town, I go and I take care of their animals. <laughs> I visit their kitties. It's like wonderful. And then I have a just a wonderfully embarrassing secret pleasure that just I find comforting beyond belief. I play Scrabble on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> It's Can wonderful. you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> but each of those is a very minor... You know, I take refuge in my practice, yes. But I have these little mundane things that I do that I really do take some sort of refuge in them. Yes. And that was exactly what I wanted us to get to. <laughs> All these worldly, mundane ways that we take refuge and there's nothing wrong with them, not at all, except, as somebody said, they're impermanent. <laughs> they don't last. And sometimes they disappoint us. So I'm going to encourage you over this next week to pay attention to these little ways, these worldly ways that you take refuge. Not because they're wrong or, oh, I shouldn't be doing that, but just to see. When I did this with another group, um, there were other kinds of worldly things like, you know, going to movies or (laughs) going to plays or... Shopping, (laughs) all kinds of ways, you know. Maybe at one time or another, all of us have been guilty of going shopping when the going got rough. Um, Just seeing, as, as is always so important in our practice, to just see clearly what we're doing. And then to recognize um, the limited value that Yes, it helps. Uh, It may be just what we need in the moment, but it's impermanent. It will not last forever. So, as I said, ultimately on the third week, we will talk about taking refuge in our own awareness, our own awakeness. And the Buddha is our inspiration for awakeness. Taking refuge in things as they are. And that can be, again, very disconcerting quite jolting for people. Things just as they are. Some people will say taking refuge in the breath. Same thing, you know, the breath just 
as it is. Not fighting or resisting things as they are. Not turning away from the pain, the difficulty, the suffering, the challenges that we all face. Being fully present for our lives, for whatever comes into our life. Pema Chodron says, Taking refuge in the Buddha means that you are willing to spend your life acknowledging or reconnecting with your awakeness. Learning that every time you meet the dragon, you take off more armor, particularly the armor that covers your heart. So instead of closing our hearts so we won't feel pain or disappointment or suffering, taking off that armor and allowing ourselves to fully experience whatever life brings. And this takes courage. It's also, in a way, very counterculture because this culture doesn't teach us to do that. We're supposed to be in control and we're supposed to be able to arrange our lives so that there isn't pain and suffering, so we don't get disappointed, so that um, we have the perfect this, that, and the other, and, and we're not encouraged to open, to open to whatever happens the pain as well as the joy, the difficulty as well as the beautiful, the windy overcast night as well as the star-studded beautiful night. And that, in a way, is a very radical um, position. Being present for whatever comes our way. Another reading from Pema Shodron. Taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha does not mean finding consolation in them as a child might in mommy and daddy. Rather, It's a basic expression of your aspiration to leap out of the nest, whether you feel ready for it or not. It expresses your readiness or your realization that the only way to begin the real journey of life is to feel the ground of loving kindness and respect for yourself and then to leap. to leap into life. Not knowing what it will bring. 
But having a sense, a trust perhaps, in our own awareness, in our own ability to face whatever life brings to us. Sometimes we talk about, instead of asking for certain um, preferable or desirable circumstances in our life, that instead we have the desire to be able to meet whatever circumstances come. Again, it's a very different perspective. So we just have a couple of minutes. Are there other comments, questions? Yes. This, uh, this, uh, is the light? Is it on? This, uh, this desire to to have the strength and the courage to. Overcome, deal with, accept, live through circumstances. I mean, that's a the desire is clearly obvious good. The accomplishment of that, though, to actually be able to do that, that seems like a, you know, that's a whole different kettle of fish. It, why? It seems too difficult. Well, I mean, I can, I mean, myself, I've had the experience lately where, you know, I wish I could, you know, and I just quail in the face of things, you know, rather than being able to go forward. To meet. Yeah. Whatever comes. Right. I mean, it's just, no, you know, it's too much. So, yeah, desire's there, but, you know. But it's the desire and the awareness of, of how you want to pull away. How perhaps even the natural reaction is, no, not that. <laughs> That's too much, or I can't do that, or whatever. Um, those are both steps towards being able to meet life as it comes. Having the uh, the desire, the inspiration, the will to meet life, rather than to control life, or to somehow be able to set up a situation where everything is just as we want it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I was thinking when you said worldly refuges, and I certainly do some of them, whether it's TV or, or the internet, but when we had our discussion, I was thinking more of, of retreat-type places, whether it's people or places or situations, and, um, 
And so when you talked about worldly, I thought, well, what's the difference? I'm still like escaping from the world. And what occurred to me was the worldly ones, I'm escaping from the world and myself in a way, like I'm going away from myself, (laughs) whereas the ones that are more retreat-like, whether it's a place of acceptance or a a space that feels safe to me or or nature, I'm, in one sense, I'm moving away from the world and other situations, but I'm also coming closer to whatever might be um, skillful and strong and helpful mm-hmm. in me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can prepare me more to, to, to go out into the world and face yes. all those difficult things. Yes, right. right. And being introverted, I find refuge is really, really important, although I haven't always thought of them as, oh, I'm taking refuge. But definitely that idea and action. Yeah, thanks. This comes to mind. I can't resist um, <laughs> taking refuge in Netflix. Um, after several months, I realized that I'm looking at a list of movies and it, they're not satisfying. They're somebody else's story. Mm. And that I reach for Netflix when I want distraction. And so I ended my subscription last week. And in those moments when I'm wanting distraction, when I'm not sure what I want to do next, instead of turning on the TV, I sit. And it's a a wonderful shift. Yes, yes. Thank you for that. So let me leave you with this reading from, it's actually from Rachel Naomi Remen uh, in Jack's book, The Art of Forgiveness, Loving Kindness, and Peace. In bullfighting, there is a place in the ring where the bull feels safe. If he can reach this place, he stops running and can gather his full strength. He is no longer afraid. It is the job of the matador to know where this sanctuary lies, to be sure the bull does not have time to occupy his place of wholeness. This safe place for a bull is called the querentia. For humans, the querentia is the safe place in our inner world. When a person finds their querentia in full view of the matador, they are calm and peaceful, wise. They have gathered their strength around them. So on this three-week journey, may we all find our querentia. Thank you all.